Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Good evening, Susan. How are you? Well, we are just swooning because the linden tree has burst into flower today. Oh, mine's sitting here literally <laughs> under dem linden baum. We are sitting under the linden tree, and it is you know as it is growing darker as it is coming into the evening, the scent is just so overpowering. It's like a a fairy dream of a scented palace. Yes, yeah. I, I cleared a spot in my house to dry the linden, and it's just my whole house has been smelling like linden for days. It's, 
and I um, it was just dry enough two nights ago, and I made an infusion from it. <laughs> oh. Of the fresh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So special. Oh, absolutely it. wonderful. Yay, Lyndon. I was drinking the second brew today, and there was this magnificent, like almost like orangish reddish color from the second brew. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. And so slippery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so important as an anti-inflammatory, and people seem to respond to it so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always encourage people to drink it for anti-inflammatory, but I don't know. It's, I don't know why people are they they say they always say that like when they say they're using turmeric, I was like, oh, you should try some of the linden because I find that it's like so much more effective for me than turmeric. I mean, I do enjoy drinking turmeric. When I was like in India, it was really nice to drink it in the evenings, having the the milk, the golden milk and stuff, but. I mean, yeah, I just, you can feel it when you drink the linden, how how anti-inflammatory it is. And apropos what our um, interviewee last week was saying, linden is our roots. If we're, mm-hmm. if we're, if you're of European extraction, even if you're living in North America, well, how wonderful that linden grows in North America and is known as American best wood, but circumnavigates the planet throughout the temperate regions of the planet linden grows and people value it it's not just a in my backyard here in the east coast there you are harvesting it all the way up in the west coast there they are harvesting it in france in china all around the whole planet people are harvesting linden And enjoying that wonderful smell. You still there? I'm not hearing you at all. I'm wondering if your line dropped or my line dropped, but I'll call back. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Here. You can? Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) I don't know what happened there. That's so weird. My phone was on. (laughs) (laughs) We had a really wonderful uh, Greenwich holiday, and the women who were here were really into making things. So we made dandelion italiano, and we made Mm. uh, Arena's family recipe for elderflower champagne, and we Mm -hmm. made my favorite elderflower. Champagne, champagne soda pop with the vinegar method, mm-hmm. and we made dolma with wild grape leaves, and we Yum. made garlic mustard pesto, and we made watermelon soup, and yarrow tincture, and hypericum tincture, and hypericum oil, and lots and lots and lots of wild salad. Yum. Yum. And of so course much drank, good stuff. Yeah, because we drank infusion. I talked to Rosemary Gladstar over the weekend, and she said, oh, you know, she's in semi-retirement. That's what she liked the most about having interns at her place was that so many delicious things got made. 
Mm-hmm. And I also so talked to Patch Adams. People. Patch Adams over the weekend. He's out at Camp uh, Winter Rainbow. And he's going to be out here for the run in the camp. Mm-hmm. So that was that was great. <clears throat> and I said that people were uh, mildly disturbed uh, that his um, introduction, you know. This is dated 2001, and they wanted to know, you know, is he is he still around? What's happened in the intervening years? And I asked him if he'd give me you know, something extra to add. And he said, sure, 20 years later, we're still weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's going to be speaking out here at the Oregon Country Fair uh, next week, and I'll be sad to miss him there, but I'm not going. But um, I just saw that he was on the lineup. I told him that I had, at the suggestion of another uh, reader, at the end of my forward said, and here comes Patch with his underwear on his head and his red nose to introduce me. And he said, thank you for recognizing my professional garb. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great introduction. It is. And then then I read the part, you know, because I write about patch items and hug therapy, and I read that part to him, and he said, it's not therapy. It's a hug. Mm. And it's interesting because in the chapter Mm. on drugs, I quote, you know, what the FDA says is a drug. And I said, "By by their definition, a hug is a drug. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, drugs are substance or an action meant to amel- ameliorate human suffering or pain or disease. So, yeah, right. so uh, it's obviously a drug, right? <laughs> <laughs> are you licensed to give hugs? Excuse me. <clears throat> are you wearing your red nose? <laughs> well, this evening I am going to be interviewing a woman who is doing a lot. She home birthed and homeschooled her three children who are now adults and has started uh, something called Women Empowered Through Health. We're going to learn about that network and we're also going to learn about her Medical Human Rights Association and, as if that is not enough, she does something called Orgonomic Yoga and we are going to learn about that as well. So stay tuned at 9 o'clock. Aurora Hens will be with us. And she said that she did actually send you a book, but it was eight years ago. So she's been in your uh, <laughs> network for quite some time. <laughs> Wonderful. So. Eight years ago. Oh, dear. <laughs> One would need a better organized and library you- than mine. Yeah, I I know the books get a little out of control. Like trying to find specific ones, sometimes I need to organize better too. <laughs> um, we have you, several you people online. You yeah, you soon learn as an herbalist. If you see a book you like, to pick it up and buy it because a year later it won't be in print. Yeah. Yes. A lot of the ones are, that I have are staying in print, it seems like, but, but yeah, you have a lot of older books, I'm sure. <laughs> you get a copy of Dr. Christopher's School of Natural Healing for a friend, and it's only available in, you know, limited, rare, used for $125 and up. Oh, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a few that I've looked up that, yeah, they're really expensive to buy like yep. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ray for the older herbalist than the older herbalist. Mm-hmm. And I was just about to remind the callers, you need to press 1 to ask you a question. And are you ready to go for the first question, Susan? I am. All right. The first caller is coming from the 603 area code. Oh, my goodness, that's me. Thank you, Susan, for taking my call. You're welcome. What's up tonight? Okay. Uh, My questions tonight, um, thank you, are uh, about different questions I have on plants. Uh, The first one is um, the northern catalpa. I just discovered these most beautiful blossoms, and uh, it's of the northern catalpa. I've identified it, and I was wondering if there, um, if you uh, use that, if, if that can be used for any any food or or medicine. Catalpa, catalpa, amazingly enough, is in the pea and bean family. So it's related to peanuts and soybeans and green beans and peas, as well as all the dried beans. It's also related to mesquite and loco weed and alfalfa and red clover and astragalus. So the whole family is a family that human beings find immensely useful for food and for medicine with respect for the fact that sometimes there's some slight problems either for all of us or for certain populations with certain beans. We were just telling the story once again the other night, one of our favorite stories, when Michael and I were in Spain and one of the first dishes that we had was fava bean soup. And while we were eating the fava bean soup, I suddenly started remembering translating Latin in like, I don't know, 10th grade. And I I remember translating this story about these villagers who were being threatened by the Roman legion. And they had this clever plan for winning out over the Roman legion by feeding them a certain kind of bean. I thought, well, now this has definitely, you know, got to be some kind of message that I'm getting here because I don't often think about the translations that I did from Latin into English in 10th grade or 9th grade or 11th grade for that matter. And so here I am thinking about it. And and my sweetheart, Mickey, is Italian. So I said to him, I don't think you should eat this soup. And he, of course, teased me and, and uh, you know, accused me of um, trying to get his soup. 
but he did stop eating it. And the next day, we were at a museum looking at these beautiful illustrated um, manuscripts, and I looked at his face, and he was white as a sheet, and I said, are you okay? He said, I am so not okay. I have to find some place to sit down. <clears throat> and his testicles were swollen up the size of tennis balls from the father beans. So it's not always safe. So I just went in the house, and I got Native American Ethnobotany by Daniel Mormon, which is a 900-page book. It's quite thorough. Cat berry, cat briar, catch fly, cat gut, cat nip, cat's ear, cat's eye, cat tail, cayenne. It does not look like catalpa is in this book as a plant that was used by the Native Americans of North America as a food or a medicine. I don't know anyone around me who uses it as a food or a medicine. You could probably get away with putting a flower or two in your salad. Yeah. It is a beautiful tree. And it's all right to admire things without being able to make use of them. Oh, yes, of course. I was just amazed at, at the beauty of that flower. I mean, and it I, really I think, is, isn't it? It has oh, striking, that, striking. that stunning assemblage of parts that we see in the, the pea and bean family with the keel, the part that comes together and forms like a little nose, right? Yes, and, and the, it even has a beautiful aroma. Doesn't it, though? It's so nice. Yes. yes. So I will enjoy it that way. Um, I do have some um, some other questions on other plants I've been discovering this, or been I, I have questions on from this week. Um, you talk Rebecca brought up uh, the how she is, has made the uh, linden infusion because, um, and you said yours just opened today. Wow, ours is still. I'm in New Hampshire, and ours still is not open yet. Has not begun. Now, she was collecting it today. Now, is it po- I thought you could only make the infusion from the dried flowers. W- am I mistaken in that? Can you make, um, utilize the fresh flowers in any way from the linden? Rebecca's been collecting linden flowers for quite a few days, and the first of what she collected, she said, was dry enough to make infusion. Oh, so you do not use the fresh flowers for anything. You can make a tea of the fresh flower. Okay. Okay. All right. That answers that. And also, I've been trying to get um, find some kind of a linden, and my research uh, last year told me that there's a little leaf linden. I, I forget now what, what my notes were, but there was a little leaf linden, and um, then there's a much larger American linden. When you speak of the linden, exactly which one is it? Because um, I'd like to plant one, but I'm having trouble finding um, any um, or any that have produced blossoms. C- can you give me more all, information? On what all kind linden of trees produce blossoms. All trees produce blossoms. Every linden tree produces blossoms. If you were to say to me, Susan, roses really smell nice. And I were to say to you, which rose are you specifying? 
I don't have to specify which linden. It's okay. all linden. Okay. Every single linden. Do you want a big, tall tree over 100 feet high that blossoms up at the top that you have to climb? No. To no, I don't. Get American basswood. Is American basswood the one that gets really tall? Mm-hmm. It is. I don't want yeah. that one, because I won't be able to you get the You don't want that one. It's too hard to harvest from. Most people want some kind of hybrid, yes. which has been cultivated to stay small. Yes. Okay. So that's what you ask for. Yes. I want um, a hybrid linden that will be small enough for my garden, please. Right. Right. right? Yes. Okay. That that clarifies that. Thank you so much. Now the next question is on. Thank you so much. The next question is on jewelweed, the um, impatience um, uh, capensis. Now you you brought it up last week. It was it was so neat. You talked about getting the broth um, from um, putting the um, jewelweed, if I remember correctly, putting the jewelweed into cool water and then bringing it to a boil, and then when it turns orange, to drink the broth. Um, to to aid um, in um, uh, bringing down swelling. Now it, another anti-inflammatory it, and antihistamine. Okay. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Um, now, is there any? Would there be any um, nutritional value left in the plant itself to eat it, or would you just consume the broth? I don't think. Words, do you, I don't do think that the plant has much. Can you eat it raw or cooked? I do not think the plant has much nutritional value to begin with. Oh, okay. But there, there's something in the. First of all, the, it's an annual plant. Mhm. So annuals are not like focused on providing nourishment to the roots of their leaves. They just want to make flowers. Ah. And seeds, and then die. Okay. And um, what exactly is in that broth that makes it an- anti-inflammatory? Are there any nutrients, or is it is it just a, a compound well, that is an anti-inflammatory? Doctor James Duke heard me talking about the wild impatience, and heard me saying that. It's only anti-inflammatory if the root is red or orangish, and that the broth has to be orange in order to be effective. So he went to his database, and you can look up James Duke's database of plant constituents, and he found that jewelweed contains one of the same constituents that Ralwulfia contains, which is Ralwulfine, an alkaloid. And Ralwulfia has so much Ralwulfine that it would actually make you sick if you drank it. Ralwulfia is more commonly known as henna. And it dyes your hair orange. But there's just enough enough Ralwulfine in the jewelweed to not poison you, but to act as an anti-inflammatory. I'm sorry, jewelweed does not poison you. The jewelweed does not poison you, but henna would. Do not make henna tea. Okay, and how do you spell that name, Walrufia? How would you how do you spell that, please?
brown roofy? Why I think probably Siri might be able to figure it out. It's either um, R R or W R A U L F I A, something like that. Raw Wolfia. Raw Wolfia. I, I I don't know if I'm even hearing you correct. Raw Wolfia. Leah Henna. Look up Henna. Okay. H E N N A. Okay, I will do that. Raw Wolfia is, is the botanical name of it. Yes. Well, this is interesting, uh, Susan, because I was out weeding my uh, the garden that I, I <laughs> trying to decide which weeds I can eat and which ones I just put in the compost, and I was noticing that my impatience that grow, was growing in the shade had no orange, but the one growing in the sun had lots of reddish, you know, uh, orange to the, I mean, the color was in the root, uh, the bottom of the root stem, but the one in the shade had no color. Or very little. Excellent observation. Were they the same size? Um, yes. Yes, they were. Have you observed that at all? Because I have both the orange-flowered variety and the yellow-flowered variety. And the yellow-flowered variety is much, much taller. And it has much less red in the root. Oh, mine is only the orange orange blossom variety. I've never seen the yellow around here. So, so um, if I if I may continue with my plant questions, I have two more plant questions. One, um, do you? What are your favorite food or drinks to make with the milkweed plant parts? Uh, mine is um, all of the milkweed in my area now. Is um, the bl- the blooms have opened, and um, I seem to remember um, picking them before. I, of course, I leave I leave some for the for the um, butterflies. I I only pick up you know I pick them very carefully um, with caution in mind to save some for the butterflies. Um, but I I seem to remember picking the green blossoms before they open, and now they are open. Um, but I can't remember years ago what, what I I thought I made a drink, and I, I remember eating the pots, the pods. And I'm I'd like to know how you you your favorite foods or drinks you make from the milkweed parts. First of all, so far as I know, um, monarch butter, butterflies butterflies do not feed on milkweed flowers. Monarch caterpillars feed on milkweed leaves. Oh, that's right. So you can leave all the flowers you want for the butterflies, but the butterflies are going to stick their thumbs in their ears and wiggle their fingers at you and go, na 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 na. We don't want any. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Just clear about what we're doing here. Uh, you know, I've heard lots of people say, oh, you can't pick those flowers. The butterflies come to them. And I look at them and go, uh, no, actually, they don't. But that's okay. okay. Got it, got it. All right. I won't be picking the leaves. <laughs> right. You can pick as many flowers as you want to, uh, you know, okay. can, can, along with paying respect to the plant. I'm not suggesting that you just, you know, go and hack the plant out. No. And I would say that, Perhaps my favorite part of the milkweed to eat is the opened blossoms. And I like to make a summer salad 
with milkweed blossoms, apple cut into pieces the size of a milkweed flower. Oh, very tiny. Very tiny pieces of apple. And some nut, pecans or walnuts or pistachios or pine nuts also cut up. And do you use a dressing? Olive oil. Yum. That's it. Yeah. Sounds yummy. It is. I also sprinkle milkweed flowers just in my regular salads. Okay. okay. The unopened flower buds are, of course, quite delicious. But they do have to be cooked in three changes of water because they do contain that poison, which is why the monarch caterpillar is eating it to protect itself. So it's kind of a complicated thing to eat. You can't just, you know, pick them and eat them. And you were asking before about eating things raw. You know, I do put the raw flowers in the salad or the salad we were just talking about. But then I pour olive oil on it, which is a way of cooking things. Yes. Yes. So technically it's not raw. At, the, at our Green Witch holiday, we had watermelon soup, which is watermelon cut up into fairly large pieces and cucumber peeled and seeded and sliced very, very thin. And that those two mixed together and then marinated in mint, vinegar, and olive oil. Mm. A little bit of salt overnight. And I say to people, once you have watermelon this way, you will never go back to eating just raw watermelon. Yes, and do you also eat the, um, the the white the white part? You can eat the white part. More nutrition is actually in the green part. But well, I'm I, wait- I'm not able to get organic, so I, I, I stay well, away I, from the green part. Exactly, but I wait until I have um, organic watermelon to eat any of the white or the green rind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that does sound num- yummy. Now, now back to the blossoms. Do you just cut off the tips of the blossoms, or can you eat? Uh, I'm talking about the ripe, the the ripe pink blossoms. Can you eat the whole flowering top, or um, because the little tiny blossoms come at the end of like little, you know, they're they're it's not just a blossom. Like like when, I, for example, when I pick roses, I don't pick the stem. I just pick the petals. So, um, or the calyx part, I, I just harvest the, um, I just cut off the rose petals itself. I don't have anything below. When it comes to the milkweed blossoms to eat, um, do you just do the tippy tops of just the blossoms or the, the part that also holds the blossoms? I'm, I don't know if I'm making myself clear. Not at all. The, each blossom is on a stalk. I yeah. don't want to eat the stalks. I pull the blossoms off or cut the blossoms off, but I don't cut the blo- into the blossom at all. Well, I find, what I mean is there are several find flowers. I like, off very, very easy, like and I head. entire thing. Like a broccoli head is before it's open. Right, and you say you 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 can eat those, pick those whole heads before they're open, but just cook them in changes of water, three changes three of water. Changes. Water, correct. And once they open, then you have the um, you have the um, like the like the the tiny. I'm not talking about the stalk. I'm talking about like the 
tiny, tiny little bottom parts of each individual flower that make up the 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 um, the flower stem. There's itself. a cluster of flowers, and each individual flower is on a stalk that makes up that cluster. I simply put my fingers into it and pull, and the flowers pop off into my hand, leaving the stalks behind. Oh, you just pull off the flower top, the flower, the tiny flower, the tip the flower. itself. Just okay, the flower. I just, I just pick up. I just would um, cut off the whole, what you would call, um, you know, like a head of broccoli, uh, the broccoli, like the little. Um, it doesn't just, look like broccoli once the flowers are open. The flowers are on long stalks. Right, right. So you just pick the very flowers, not the little tiny uh, elongated um, things not that the flower. Yeah. Okay. I I understood. So you so you eat them raw with olive oil, and you okay. Any other way you like them? Do you make a drink out of them? No. Taste. No. Stuff from milkweed tastes pretty bitter. Mhm, mhm, mhm. So those are your your two favorite Rebecca, ways. Rebecca, how many people do we have waiting? Oh, thank you so much, Susan. Well, I I just want to find out from Rebecca how many people are waiting. We have about seven people with their. So I am uh, going to say green blessings, and and I know that you probably have more questions. And I'm hoping. No, there was just one more. It was delightful. Thank you so much for you are welcome. Your green blessings. Bye-bye. Green blessings. All right. The next caller is coming from the 530 area code. Yay. Hi. (laughs) Happy, joyous summer, and thank you so much for doing this, Susan, and for being a mentor to me for so long, whether you knew it or not. You are welcome. We are on the downstroke of summer. Only six weeks of summer left. The days are getting shorter. (laughs) Yes, they are. The Sun King has been killed. Yes, but then you'll get your rest, too, and renewal, so. Indeed, we all do. So, Susan, I really need help with UTI episodes and trying to get off um, antibiotics. Um, I don't know how much detail you want. Well, let uh, me ask you this. Do you have down there a copy of my book down there? No, but I wrote it down. I, I heard oh. I I heard and it mentioned. And you have a copy so I, of my menopause book? Definitely. Okay, I think there's a section on UTIs in the menopause book, isn't there? There is. And All right. and so what what have you done from there that has not worked? Well, everything. <laughs> um, I have not done Uva Ursi actually. Um, which which you say is, is really helpful for me to get out of that chronic infection um, One phase. One of the absolute best. So I'm a little confused on that. You you mentioned um, a cup, a, initially a cup a day, three to six times a day, and that just seemed like a lot because I'm trying to drink water, I'm trying to drink nettles, I'm I'm doing chickweed. Why um, are you drinking water? Why am I drinking water? Because I thought it was a good idea. That is one of the worst ideas ever. Okay. The That's idea good. that you're supposed to drink water was made up by an advertising executive. 
Okay, that's awesome because like I when would you never first... drink water unless I had no other option. Okay. Please don't. So drink. then, I could drink six cups of Uva Ursi. And and is the dried? I have not yet figured it's out. It's a range. It's not a prescription. It's a range, one to six cups a day. Okay. Okay. And is right. dried, like if I was to buy it from the store, organically dried rather than wild crafting it myself, is, is liver that... Uva I'm sorry? You live, Uva Ursi. You live where Uva Ursi grows? I do, but I'm just not sure of, of uh, identifying it. Uh-huh. I, live, I live in um, California. Ah, in... Okay, mostly grew around the Great Lakes. Okay, I thought it grew here. Um, looking at Michael Moore's book, I thought he said it grew here. I'm in the Sierras. You're in the Sierras. Okay, I know it likes it pretty wet. Okay, then maybe it doesn't grow here. So, so it's acceptable to buy it um, dried from a, a responsible source that I trust. In general, um, if you're going to make a water-based thing, um, dried herb is better. Okay. Okay. So I will will um, do that. The other thing that I just wanted to ask um, about is you, you talk about vitamin C and, and cranberry. You know, my pH tends to run typically low. So, um, would you still, which way is which? Um, vitamin C is, raises it. So, would you recommend just taking a, reg, you know, a regular vitamin C or or just go for the over C and, and get your down there and see what else you recommend? I don't recommend that anybody ever take a vitamin C supplement. I suggest it could be used as a douche. Oh, okay. So let's see. The Ojibwe used Arctostephylos. The Alaskans used Arctostephylos. The berries, Arctostephylos was used by the Karok, by the Tolawa, the Pomo, the Quahila, the Kawas. The Conco, the Atsugewi, the Klamath, the Navajo, Costanoans, hmm. the Blackfoots, the Miwoks, the Paiutes, the Eskimos. Wow, a lot of people used Arctostaphylus. Arctostephylus uva ursi, black foot. Well, it sounds like good medicine. Cherokee, Cheyenne, Chippewa, Cree, Flathead, Ho, Quattle, Menominee, Navajo, Rama, Ojibwe, Okanagan, Colville, Quilute, Tana. None of these are um, nations of California, are they? Yeah. Um, here we have... Um the Pomo and the Miwok. Okay, Pomo and Miwok. There, there you go. 
Bellacula. Um, the Washoe are, are immediately right here. You didn't mention them, but it sounds nope. pretty universal. Um, oh, we can so. know the Salish, the Skokomish, the Spokane, the Squazic. Sounds like a lot up in uh, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. The Skagit. Okay. Right. Well, a lot, a lot, a lot used as smoking, to smoke, yeah. berries eaten, tonic for the bladder, help for the bladder, tonic for the kidneys, tonic for the bladder. Yeah. I would love to get off the antibiotics um, and, you know, and stop my episodes from happening. So I will give that Uva Ursi a try and get your book, of course, Um Anything else you recommend off the... How much yogurt are you eating? Not a lot because it seemed to be affecting my sinuses, so I stopped There is no way yogurt. that it affects your sinuses. Okay. Um, okay. Are you believing Arnold Eret, who decided that milk was mucus forming by cutting his arm open with his hunting knife? Oh, is that what he did? Mm-hmm. That's how he decided that milk was mucus forming. You're going along with that, huh? Well, I, and, and various other places that... And various he, other places who go along with him. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's all the evidence uh, there is. And one man cut his arm open and looked at the blood and said, oh, there's mucus in my blood. There wasn't, of course. Okay. I I would love to go back to yogurt. I mean, I, I just recently kind of cut it out of my diet in the past couple of months, So, which is when the sinus thing started. So I will go back to that happily. Yes, I think that your um, bladder and uh, vagina will be much happier. And I'm all for that. Okay. Okay. Good. All I right. feel complete. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. Bye. The next caller is coming from the 920 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi there. My question tonight has to do with yellow dock and curly dock and how to tell the difference because I have one of them growing in my garden. No difference. And I'd like to harvest There is no difference. No difference? Yellow yellow dock simply means any plant with large leaves and a yellow root. It's okay. a common name. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. okay Doc means a plant with big leaves. What would you call a plant that had big leaves and burrs? Burdock. You got it. Mm-hmm. Doc means a plant okay. with leaves. What would you call a plant that had big leaves that heals broken bones? Bone dock or bone set dock, and that's what Comfrey's been called. Okay. And Great. And so on. So dock is not anything botanical. It just means big leaves. And, of course, there's always Bugs, Bunny fa- Bugs Bunny's favorite plant, which is, what's up, dock? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. So yellow, dock, when- yellow dock, when bought, can be one of five different Rumex species. Okay. So what you're saying is that you have several that you've noticed several different Rumex species growing around you. Mm-hmm. There are probably more that you haven't yet noticed. The most common are 
Rumex Optusifolia, which means big leaf to Rumex, and it has a bigger leaf, and it tends to be a shorter plant when it flowers. Rumex Crispus, which has curly leaves, that's the Crispus, and is taller mm-hmm. when it flowers. Rumex Aquaticus, which has a red stripe up the leaf and usually is growing near or in water, which is usually quite short. Rumex Paciensa, which is the tallest of them all and has long, strappy, but not curly leaves. And Rumex Mexicana, which tends to grow further south and is not generally present in the northeast. And those five species are generally sold as yellow dock or mixed together as yellow dock. In terms of medicine, they are all in the same family that rhubarb root is. Rhubarb root is a standard medicine in Chinese herbal medicine. Such a group of plant roots, all of which have a stronger or less strong effect on gut health and the ability of the body to utilize iron that is being made available to it. Yes. Yes. And and that's why I'd like to harvest it. And so do can I use the root? Oh, you're going to dig the root of a plant while it's having sex? Well, uh, no. I would wait till fall, right, or winter? That sounds much better. Definitely wait until after it's done having sex. And and then... Which is right now, right? It's flowering and having a beautiful time right now, yes? Yes, it is. And, And the seeds are there, but they're green. They're green. Right, they haven't ripened up uh-huh. yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so can it is I a perennial plant. It's usually considered best not to harvest it in the middle of the year, but to wait until after there's some frost. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the things that you could do is, since you have recognized two different species, is to, on the same day, harvest a root from each one of them and make a remedy from the two different ones, carefully labeling them, and use them and see if you have an affinity for one over the other. Okay. Great idea. Great. And and then can I also tincture the seeds, or is it just the root that's basically used? The root is the part that is most often used. I do make a vinegar of okay. the seeds. I don't find it anywhere near as medicinal as the root. Okay. Okay. The seeds, of course, are wild buckwheat, but they have to be winnowed and really worked. It's quite a lot of work to get the edible seed out of the yellow dock. Okay. Okay. Great to know. Thank you very much, Susan. I appreciate all of your wisdom. You're welcome. Green blessings. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from a private number. Hello? Hi. Hi. Um, so I have a dermoid, and I also, um, which is essentially confounded by um, OCD and PTSD. Um, I w- and I also have overactive bladder, and I was just wondering if you might have any suggestions for that. I'm not sure what you mean when you say you have a dermoid. Um, it's a dermoid um, tumor cyst. That's growing on my. It's growing on your what? It's on my ovary. It's a. So you have a dermoid growth. cyst on your ovary, and how was this discovered? 
Um, just an ultrasound. And why were you having the ultrasound? Um, at first, I had some irregular bleeding, and eventually that went away. Um, and so that's and the doctor just recommended it, and so they found it. One of the major problems with modern medicine, one of the major ways that modern medicine takes people's health away is by finding problems that aren't problems and then fixing them. Yeah. I don't know what our connection is sounding like to you, but to me it sounds like there's about a hundred other people in the room. Oh, sorry. Are there people in the room? Um, yeah, sorry, I'm on a, I'm on public transportation right now. Well, it's extremely difficult to hear you. Um, one, one second. Can you hear me better now? Much. Okay. All right. So, why are we concerned about this white cyst? Um, because the doctor wants to remove it, um, with surgery. And if they can't, then they may not be able to save the ovary. Why does the doctor want to remove it by surgery? Um, excuse me, what? Why does the doctor want to remove the dermoid cyst? Um, because the doctor said that it, I mean, it's, it's an abnormal growth. It may or may not be cancer. Exactly what percentage of the time is a dermoid cancer? Um, it's pretty rare, but it's possible. It's extremely rare. Yeah. So here's what you must understand, and you must make your own decision. Doctors are trained to be as conservative as possible. In other words, if there's a 0.05% chance of it being cancer, then that doctor is trained to put you into surgery and remove your ovary even though it will mess you up for the rest of your life. Right. And is it, it, putting you at enormous risk for very little benefit. There is no direct benefit at all. There is a direct non-benefit, and the only possible benefit is that possibly, it could possibly be cancer, but wow. They also said sure it could not like how I live my life. over the over the years, like it could get bigger. It could, and a meteor could fall on your head too. <laughs> yeah. And it could get smaller. Right. But it's a guarantee that if they cut you open, that you will be hurt. Mhm. Yeah. A absolute guarantee. That's why I'm. That's there why was, I'm there was a student it. here who said that her mom is paralyzed from the waist down because they suggested a little surgery to remove something that could possibly be cancer, and in doing so, they nicked the nerve that controlled the lower half of her body, and she's now in a wheelchair to have something removed. Oh, gee, we were so happy it wasn't cancer. Yeah. You play Russian roulette. No. I, well, your I chances are to. a lot better of surviving that than of surviving what these doctors are telling you. Yeah. I do not understand why something that is not causing you pain, that is not causing you any problem, 
is making you so fearful that you will offer your body up for surgery. Yeah, that's the last thing I want to do. Um, I, well, I say no. Just it. say no. You can say no. Yeah. You can say no. You can find another doctor. You can go to an acupuncturist. You can go to somebody else. Right. Because this person does not have your health in mind, do they? Right. Right? Yeah, that's true. What I would like is for you to have a helper, a health helper, who wants you to be healthy. Mm-hmm. This person does not want you to be healthy. This person wants to make sure you don't sue them. <laughs> I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. Yeah. This is not medicine for the sake of the patient, for the sake of health. This is medicine for the sake of the insurance company. That's true. So you don't I have mean, to fall for I, it. What, what do, do I do? You not have to be maimed and cut up to protect this doctor from being sued. I don't think it's a good choice. You have to make up your own mind. I can't tell you what to do. But I don't think it's a good choice. Is there any herbs that I could use to possibly make it smaller? Certainly. Chickweed makes all kinds of variances smaller. I know a woman who got rid of a dermoid cyst that was the size of a hen's egg. So, like, chickweed um, in tincture form? Chickweed. Tincture, I like. You can do chickweed infusion if you prefer it. Okay. Um, Is there anything else you might recommend? Tell me a little bit about your diet. Do you currently drink nourishing herbal infusions? Um, Yeah, I I like to do a lot of oat straw. I found that really helps with my anxiety. Uh Um, Sometimes I do. I've recently started some passion flower. Um, a little bit of mugwort tea, um, and uh, chamomile. What I really like to see people do is to use all five of the nourishing herbal infusions. What's that? The five nourishing herbal infusions are stinging nettle. Oh, okay. Oat straw, red clover, comfrey leaf. And linden flower. Oh, okay. So okay. when you're making your oat straw infusion, what kind of scale do you use? Um, I don't use a scale. It's more like a... I guess Not making like an infusion. It, it might be more of like a tea, right? I put water and... Making an infusion. Um, yeah. So you're not getting the benefits of infusion. For instance, a cup of nettle tea has about 5 milligrams of calcium, and a cup of nettle infusion has about 250 milligrams of calcium. Oh, okay. So, I, so you I need a scale, to... and you need to weigh out an ounce of each herb okay. one by one. So one night you do oat straw, one, the next night... You do nettle. The next night you do red clover. And the next night you do linden. The next night you do comfortably for any order you want. And you keep okay. rotating through them. And 
You can continue to drink passionflower tea. That's not a problem. Okay. Have you experimented with using motherwort when you're feeling anxious? Motherwort tincture. Um, no, because I couldn't find that online. I was only able to find like certain oh, mountain herbals has motherwort tincture, and red moon herbs has motherwort tincture. Okay. Made from the fresh plant. I think you'll find it a wonderful ally. There are people who like lemon balm tincture as well or better than motherwort. And there are people who really believe that lavender tea is the best thing for relieving anxiety. So Mm -hmm. what I'm suggesting is you don't have to just work with oat straw. And if you don't have oat straw every day but have a different nourishing herbal infusion, then you could drink passionflower that day or lavender that day or lemon balm that day. Those would all help to relieve some anxiety. Okay. And could you tell me a little more about your diet? Um, well, I mean, I tend, like, I eat a lot of, I eat a lot more rice, um, because, um, I was told to do that by a TCM practitioner, um, so rice at every meal. Um, now I try to eat salmon probably almost every day. Um, I eat seafood almost every day. I've kind of laid back on, like, the chicken and beef as much, so I don't really do that as often. I eat it every so often. Um, lots of fruits and veggies. Daily, I have a green well smoothie cooked. every day as well. The fruits and vegetables huh? well cooked? Um, no. Um, usually, well, the smoothie is always raw. Um, and then sometimes I cook the vegetables. I'd like to see you stop immediately doing any smoothies at all. No more smoothies? Okay. Um, do you that's notice, I get like 10, do you notice 10 the panic in your voice? Yeah. What... Could you and I say about that panic? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, what I nervous. hear is someone who has put themselves into a situation where they are feeling very dependent on a particular food and a food that has no nutritive value at all. So it might be the smoothies? Maybe. I have. What I'm saying is that it's wonderful that you are eating fruits and vegetables, but you are not getting anything from those fruits and vegetables unless they are cooked. Okay. It's basically throwing your money away because you're not getting any nutrition. So even if I'm eating less, but I'm having it like cooked, that's actually healthier? There's no way that cooking it is going to make you eat less. Why would you eat well, less like, cooking it? Um, cuz like I cuz I would drink the green smoothies in between the meals and like that would have about like 10 cups of veggies between my meals. So then on top of that I would have But like, it's not 10 cups meals. of veggies and are you actually consuming 10 cups? Yeah, I am. Like I mix it with water and a Vitamix and it all blends down to essentially 10 cups at the end. 
Well, then it's not 10 cups of vegetables if you put water in. Yeah. And again, let me say, nothing on this planet eats raw food because you are not getting any nutrition from it. You are not getting any vitamins. You are not getting any minerals. You are not getting any proteins. Okay. So... I'm unclear as to what the benefit is to you. Okay. I thought raw food was healthy. (laughs) Raw food is the least healthy choice you could make. Okay. If you want, go to YouTube and find the raw versus cooked debate. You will see a proponent of raw food. You will see that she is not in good health. What you won't see is that she wound up in the hospital a few years later. Because of eating okay. raw food. So, like, no more raw food at all. Like, even my fruit should probably be, like, cooked or something. Like, in, like, a baked, like, maybe baked with cinnamon, like an apple baked with cinnamon or something to that effect. Doesn't that sound ever so much better? Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Susan. Kick the raw food junk habit. Okay. It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for anybody. Drink your nourishing herbal infusions, which are loaded with nutrition. And if you want to eat a fresh raw strawberry or fresh raw peach because it delights you, please do that because we eat for pleasure as well as for nutrition. But be sure you're nourishing yourself with lots of good cooked food. I'm glad you're eating lots and lots of seafood, but there's still things that that is not going to cover that we really need from red meat. And one of the primary of of those things is called heme, H-E-M-E, heme. Heme in our blood becomes hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is a complex molecule that carries oxygen and nutrition to every cell in your body. We cannot make heme. We are dependent on the blood of other animals to give us heme. Without heme, we begin to die from the outside in. Notice how many vegan and raw fooders have cold hands and cold feet. Yeah, my feet are always cold. (laughs) You really do need some red meat, please. I'm not suggesting that you eat bacon for breakfast, bologna for lunch, and pork chops for dinner, but I'm suggesting that until your feet get warmer, consider having some red meat at least a couple times a month. Okay. And also understand that if you go to the store and you buy well-raised red meat, meat from an animal that's been loved and that's been on pasture, you've changed an animal's life. You've made sure that that animal had a good life. No vegan could say the same. Not eating meat doesn't help any animal. Only those who eat meat can help animals. You buy well-raised meat, you're supporting a farmer. Who wants to raise meat in a humane and loving way? You don't eat meat? You're telling that farmer, go bankrupt. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So I'll See, start eating meat as a, your community responsibility. Hmm. Do you eat organic food? Yes, I do. Which is raised with animal manure. Well, that's true. So how much better than to eat the animals as well? I, I didn't think about that. The animal is the heart of the farm. Oh, yeah. And for generations and generations, those animals have been bred to be our food. They do not blame us or feel bad about it. I work on a farm myself. I work with animals. They're not upset about it. It's humans who are upset, not the animals. Okay. The animals, as a matter of fact, feel kind of bad if people won't eat them. Really? Why? Well, let me ask you. Would you rather be a in a magazine naked with a staple in your navel or working at a soup kitchen? I'd rather be working at a soup kitchen. Well, why? I mean, I don't want to put myself on display like that. That's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but you think animals should just be for display and they shouldn't be able to be useful? No. <gasps> I think I think they should oh, be Oh, well, being eaten is useful to an animal. That's but what it's it been hurts. raised for. But, like, don't they want to, like, live? Because, like, all humans want to live? Oh, no, they're not human. Oh. They don't um. have an like you do. But, like, what about, like, pets? You know, like, some, some pets are, like, they could We can technically go be- into the... Any realm of fantasy you would like to. And you can what about me up one side of the mountain and down the other. But it's not going to change what I'm saying. Mm. Farm animals is what I'm talking about, yes? Have I been clear about that all along? I'm talking about farm animals? Yeah. And now you want to change the subject? (laughs) That's kind of sneaky way to talk. I thought it. I thought it was like. You said farm animals. Yes. Did I say farm animals? Yes, you did. Okay, I thought that's what we were talking about. It's farm animals, animals that have been domesticated. Okay. And what I'm talking about is your health, basically. And you can let your fantasies interfere with your health. I know lots and lots of people who absolutely destroy their health in pursuit of their fantasies. That's really scary. As I said, the woman that I debated the raw versus cooked debate wound up in the hospital in pursuit of her fantasy. Okay. Well, I guess I have a lot to change. I think you do, and I think that you will see very quick improvement in your life when you do so. Give me a call back in a month, and let's see how it's going, okay? Okay, thank you, Susan. You're welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 443 area code. Hi. Thank you for taking my call, Susan. You're welcome. Um, What's up tonight? I had a a few questions. The first one is, I remember you saying something, like, really bad about grape seed oil, but I forgot what you said, and somehow I got convinced to start using it again and now I'm like 
trying to remember what the issue was with it. Um, can can you just tell me, like, run through the issues with grape seed oil that I believe? Seeds, mm-hmm. when pressed to give oil, give an oil which has two major difficulties. This is true of any oil from any seed, whether it's grapeseed oil, flaxseed oil, um, whether it's canola oil or corn oil or soy oil or almond oil, any oil pressed from any seed, one mm-hmm. is loaded with omega-6 fatty acids. Mm-hmm. The natural diet, as discovered by Weston Price, who looked all over the world at a bunch of different natural diets. In other words, he defined that as diets that did not include any artificial foods of commerce, in his own words. Mm -hmm. The natural diet contains either two omega-3 fatty acids for one omega-6 or one-to-one. Okay. Seed oils can be one to 500. Mm Mm-hmm. There's such a huge okay. ratio that there's just no way you can eat enough omega-3 or salmon or anything to take care of it. And the oils from seeds go rancid within three to five days. All right. And is there anything lip- about the poly... At Lipid Chemist, people who specialize in fats tell me that most seed oils are cancer in a can. Mm. Okay. And they say they may be good for your heart. They may have all these studies showing they're good for your heart, but they're bad for every other part of your body. I use oils that are not pressed from seeds. Olive oil is pressed from a fruit. Avocado oil is pressed from a fruit. Coconut oil comes from a fruit. Mm -hmm. I use Mm -hmm. butter. I use organic bacon fat. Mm -hmm. Organic butter, of course. Right. Organic olive oil. Okay. And then, thank you. And then um, about goat milk. So I know you use a lot of goat milk, goat cheese, and things like that. Um, and I was wondering if it was be over cow milk or is it because, and I know it's about homogenized and unpasteurized, like the issues with cow milk in that regard, but like if I were able to get raw cow milk and raw goat milk, would there be a reason to choose one over the other? Goats have several differences in their milk as compared to cows, and people prefer one over the other for a variety of different reasons. Cows have large fat molecules in their milk, and so the cream rises to the top of the milk. And you can skim the cream off the milk and have skimmed milk, which is low fat, and turn the cream into butter. Mm -hmm. Goat's milk has small fat molecules, and so the fat is naturally homogenized into the milk, and that's all that homogenization does is to break down the fat a molecule size of the cow's milk so that it is more easily digested and more easily used. Homogenization is certainly not a problem for the vast majority of people. It certainly makes the milk far more easier to digest. And the goat's milk is naturally homogenized, so it's also easier to digest. But then you can't get the cream from the goat's milk because you can't have low-fat or no-fat goat's milk. You always have full-fat goat's milk, and it has quite a bit of fat in it, in fact. And there are people who don't like having that much fat in their dairy products. The dairy specialists that I've talked to, the people in food science, say that um, you should always have full-fat milk because the nutrients, the other nutrients, milk, especially the minerals, simply are not biologically active without the fat in the milk. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind that I can't take the fat out of my goat's milk and that it's a, a rich 
fat enough, that's absolutely fine with me. Um, goats make very good use of the carotenes that they eat. They eat green plants, and those green plants contain carotenes and carotenoids. And goats convert those into vitamin A. So there's some vitamin A in goat's milk. Whereas cows do not do such a good job of converting the carotenes, and so they spill out into the milk, so the milk has a yellowish cast. Goat's milk is chalky white, and the cheese is very white, and the yogurt is very white, whereas cow milk products have at least some shade of yellow, and the more pasture that the cow is on, the more yellow they are. And, of course, pasture butter is practically buttercup yellow from so much carotene mm-hmm. that the cows weren't able to convert into vitamin A. So some people prefer that. They say, oh, well, I like that. I like being at, you know, having the cow's milk and being able to take the cream and turn that into butter and have that nice organic butter as well as the milk. And that suits them better because you can't do that with the goat's milk. Right. Goat's milk tends to be richer in bacteria than cow's milk. And so people who are concerned about bacteria in raw milk prefer raw cow's milk because there's fewer bacteria in it. Cow's is bacteria milk is, hurting you? The Food and Drug is Administration bacteria. thinks they are. Mm-hmm. The Food and Drug Administration thinks raw milk is more dangerous than heroin. <laughs> but do you, I mean, do you think the bacteria well, are obvious, from, obviously? I think we can know <laughs> what I think. I keep a herd of right, dairy goats. You drink it every day. <laughs> exactly. Right. Why do okay. I go to all the trouble and expense to keep a herd of dairy goats if I don't prefer goat's milk and raw goat's milk? and provide it for myself, which is perfectly legal. And since I don't sell it to anyone, I am absolutely legal. I had a friend in California who had a nice goat dairy, and she bartered some cheese with somebody, and the cops came to her door and told her that they would put her in jail if she gave away, bartered, or sold any cheese within the next year. So, yeah, they're pretty serious about raw milk, and they don't like it, it being sold or passed around in any way. And I would say, you know, that one of my criteria also is who's producing the milk? How are they treating the animal? What are the circumstances of this? How, you know, how much hysterical hygiene do they engage in? Um, I don't need somebody who's absolutely hysterical about their hygiene, but I need somebody who's at least close to hysterical about their hygiene if I'm getting raw milk from them. Right. Okay. Right? Okay. Thank you. I mean, we're on the apprentices. You strain the milk and you refrigerate it. You wash the milking equipment right away. You don't leave it soaking. You don't leave water in it. The milking equipment is Mm -hmm. only used for milk. It goes here. It doesn't go into other places. I mean, again, Mm -hmm. we're not hysterical. I'm not, like, bleaching the cow's udders. (laughs) But we are close to hysterical about really taking care of the milk because it's a raw food product. And so right. we want to be to use really good hygienic standards to wash our hands, to wash the containers, to make sure everything is ship shape and up to date. Okay. Thank you. And you two welcome. more questions. Thanks for asking. Okay. Okay, my pleasure. Um two more questions. I'm I am in my first pregnancy and I have herbal for the childbearing year. And I'm trying to understand um, two things. I'm trying to understand animal fats. And I I see, I don't think I 
missing it in here, but I couldn't be missing it so far. Um, and I'm also trying to understand liver, which, you know, how I'm connected. So if it's in here, please tell me. If it's not in here, could you recommend where I can find more information about animal fats and liver from, like, a valuable source? I'm not sure what you mean, animal fats and liver. You mean two different topics or how they're connected or? Um, I mean, uh, the so the value of animal fats um, overall. And then specifically, I would like say nutrition mm-hmm. and human degeneration by Weston A. By Price. Weston A. Price. Gotcha. And so nourishing traditions book by Sally Fallon, F A L L O N. Okay, I'm glad that you're still recommending those. I just started reading, rereading them again. And then about liver, um, two things, and this is my last stuff. Um, with liver, if I if I don't have access to a farm. Would it would it be valuable to get that from a, a grocery store if I can? Um, Certainly. Okay. And I was told, or I read from Sally, if I'm sorry, I can probably just go with that, but that one of the first best first foods to give a child once they're born, I mean, once they're starting to wean off of breast milk, is liver. Would you agree with I that? I think the best food to give a child as they're weaning off breast milk is nourishing herbal infusion, and I hope that you are drinking your nourishing oh. infusions. I am, and I, I, I see um, the kids go I mean, from breast yeah. to nourishing herbal infusion, and Anyone then what? Ultra? And then whatever mom and dad are eating, mushed mm. up. Okay. Any particular infusion? Like, probably not country. Or what's with the country? Why not? Even you don't want to have okay. stronger and more flexible tissues. You don't want your nipples to be I stronger do. and more flexible. You don't want your milk to be richer. You don't want no, the baby. No, for me, of course. Sell but up for well. the baby. No, for me, of course, but for the baby, what, what, do you, I'm talking, any about, of the I'm talking about the health that you drink comfrey, the baby will be healthier. And what you're saying for the weaning of the baby, what, which infusion would be good for the weaning of the baby, like for their first drink? Aren't you drinking all five infusions? I am trying to. I go back and forth with drinking all five. Um, that's okay, don't I'm losing your words. You're getting a little garbled. Oh, I'm sorry. Red clover blossom. That's okay. However, I know fertility. I thought there may be some issues around miscarriage or um, or something while pregnant. Red clover blossom? Red clover blossom is perfectly safe to drink while you're pregnant. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but what I was asking for was... Comfrey is perfectly safe to drink. Nettle is exceptionally important to drink while you're Right. And linden is a wonderful thing to drink. Oat straw is just as lovely as can be. And red raspberry. If in addition to those you want to add red raspberry, I don't especially mm-hmm. really like it as an infusion. You could drink it as an infusion, but you could also just drink it as a tea. Mm. Okay. And okay, but I have one question that I want to clarify and then I'm done. You said to give the baby when weaning infusions. Whatever infusion you're all? drinking that day. Okay. Okay. Great. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. <laughs> you are welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. We have, what, 10 minutes okay. left before we get to uh, talk to uh, Aurora Hens. And before we talk to the next person, I just want to say that 
Um, I am still looking in Native American Ethnobotany by Daniel Mormon. And we have, these are the Rumex species that were used medicinally by Native Americans. Rumex acetosa, which is known as garden sorrel. Rumex acetosella, which is known as sheep sorrel. Rumex altissimus, which is the pale dock. Rumex aquaticus, which is western dock. Rumex arcticus, the arctic dock. Rumex conglomeratus, the cluster dock. Rumex crispus, the curly dock. Rumex giganteus, hallway used in Hawaii. Rumex hymenocephalus, canagery dock. Used by the Rapaho. That's a really beautiful dock. I love that one. Rumex maritimus, the golden dock. Rumex obtusifolius, the bitter dock. Rumex orbiculatus, the greater water dock. Rumex patienza, the patient's dock. Rumex posiofolius, the few leaved dock. Posius, like a, a paucity of leaves, posiofolius. Rumex salicifolius, the willow dock. Rumex salicifolius mexicanus, the Mexican dock. And other Rumex species, including Rumex venosus, Rumex verticiliatus, the swamp dock. Rumex violensis, the violet dock. How about that for a rundown of dock species in North America? Yeah, yeah. I have that book. I just got it a couple months ago, and it's a very thick book. <laughs> 900 pages, book. yes. It's very thorough. Mm-hmm. Well, we still have, um, looks like, six callers. They're waiting to have their questions answered, but um, We're gonna we'll happen. see how many we can get. Yes, call okay. back. So call, call back, back next week if. Don't and call and... Oh, earlier. Yes. Yes, yes. Good. Okay, let's see who we have next. Okay, the next caller is coming from the 845 area codes. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, I had a sonogram, and it, it showed some gallstones and a little bit of fatty liver. Um, I had the test because of uh, several years of digestive um, issues, mostly uh, diarrhea, and then it started changing and feeling almost like I might have had a blockage of some sort. So um, they recommend now to get um, a... Uh, test, CAT scan with the dye, and I don't think I feel comfortable taking that risk. I've been researching how to do uh, flushes for the gallstone. Do not um, do any liver flush so, of any kind. So, I knew you were going to say that. Okay. Um, so Didn't what say that. You... I yelled it. What? <laughs> So do I just go ahead and just do the, the strengthening of the liver? Um, um, Your liver and, is not a toilet to be flushed. 
Okay, so I I see that the pancreas and the... In uh, a large school where all of the students were encouraged to do a liver flush, a third of them had to have emergency gallbladder surgery. See, that's, I do not want to end up like that. <laughs> so that's I, 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 yelled. I know I had pretty good success uh, doing some milk thistle. I thought it... Tincture. I thought it made me feel better, and I ran out. So I got. I have to make some more. Go buy some till, till it's ready. But is there anything else you would? Uh, is there anything you would recommend to see uh, if I can't strengthen up uh, these organs, which I, I feel are probably responsible for this situation, since I've had so many tests and they can't find anything wrong with me. You know, no bacteria, no infections, no. Parasites, nothing like that. That's good to know. Certainly there are a great many herbs that strengthen the liver. I, truthfully, if I were in your position, I would leave Western medicine and I would go and seek someone who was experienced in traditional Chinese medicine. Okay. Because Western medicine is basically saying, we don't know what's wrong with you. And then the next thing they say is, so we're going to cut you open and see if we can figure it out. Oh, they've tried to say that several times already, and I, of course, right. I'm going to say no. Yeah. So, you know, this is a good point to leave them behind. Yeah. They try to scare you with death. One and else like, who nah. might say something more to you on the order of, it sounds like your triple heater is not getting the messages that it needs, and there is empty yin going on here. And that overall, that your chi needs to be nourished and strengthened. You see, you're kind of treating yourself piecemeal, like you're going to strengthen your yeah. liver. But what I want to see you do is, first of all, are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? No, not at the moment. I, I, I feel so ill that I, I can't hardly do anything, it seems. It's, I'm just so... Uh, um, they I'm do just... sell electric tea kettles. It's not too physically challenging to weigh out an ounce of herb, put it in a quart jar, put some water in your electric tea kettle, push on, and then pour it in the quart jar, right? Yeah, I, I realize that, and I keep questioning, you know, what's wrong with me, and uh, it's like I have some mental disturbance over the whole thing. Um, well, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Damn, but it's a very simple thing that I have known you know, people who have far greater problems to be able to pull off. So I encourage you to at least take that step to take care of yourself, right? Right. Right, right, right. Because uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think that you're actually worth it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, <sighs> that you are worth taking care of and that you're worth feeding well. And I suspect that one of the things that you're saying to me is that you're not feeding yourself well. I do it, and then I feel better, and then I stop, and it comes back. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, well, one of the things we did discover with a gut disturbance often uh, – some nutrients don't get absorbed, so I've been just working to try to get those levels up, and I have, and to get a little more energy. Um, <clears throat> trying to do that, and I guess I guess the smartest thing you said was to probably get out of that Western medicine 
thinking because it's I'm 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 like a gerbil on a treadmill, and they just keep saying the same things. We don't know. We don't get it. <laughs> you know, we can't figure this out. And um, you know, the quality of my life on uh, many days, I can't even you know do anything because I'm just going to the bathroom all the time. So and then and then I'll snap out of it and I'll and I'll you worked like, it all with apple, fine. Have you worked at all with applesauce or slippery elm? Um, I did work with the slippery elm and um it did seem to be effective. I ran out and uh I never got more, but I keep telling myself to get more. And did you say applesauce? Yes. Would you put apple cider vinegar in? Apple in that? cider vinegar, never, please, not. No. Never. Okay. I thought, yeah, apple I thought sauce. I remembered you saying that. Apple sauce. Just the sauce. Apple sauce contains pectin, which will stop diarrhea. Okay. Well, what happens sometimes is I stop it, but then it, then it gets almost like constipation, and I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> You know, it's that's that's even almost. How would that's you define constipation? Where you feel like you have to go, and and hardly anything comes out. It's it's causing rectal bleeding now because um, from sitting on the toilet so long. I suppose uh, I got a bleeding hemorrhoid. So, do you have a copy? Um, you have a, a copy of my book down there. No, I don't. Because it does cover hemorrhoids and bleeding hemorrhoids and fissures and all of that. Okay, great. I think think that slippery elm would work for you in the past and would certainly help at this point. Applesauce is pretty easy to get. It can be got at just about any supermarket, and it can work absolute wonders for you. I'm sorry that I don't have more time to talk to you right now. Thank you, you Susan. You were a big help. I look forward to to your guest. Thank you. Green blessings. Green blessings. And let me introduce Aurora Hens. She is an Ayurvedic practitioner and a naturopath. Her book is called Beyond Natural Cures, and it focuses on body-mind health. Aurora studied with a body-mind psychologist for three years. She home-birthed breastfed, and homeschooled her three children, who are now adults. She's just set to release a new book in the BNC series. I think that's Beyond Natural Cookbook series that focuses on some things that are going on in our society. She's a woman's advocate and is building a network called Women Empowered Through Health. Aurora Hens has founded the Medical Human Rights Association and created Orgonomic Yoga and a unique healing method that she calls Aurora which is her conglomeration of Ayurveda, Anthroposophy, and Orgonomy. Aurora Hens was in practice for 20 years at an attachment clinic specializing in autism. 
and at a wellness spa for psychosomatic skin disorders. Welcome to the show, Aurora. Thank you, Susan, very much. That was an incredible introduction, and I was certainly honored to hear it coming from you, so thank you very much. You are so welcome. Well, let's start at the top. Tell me about Women Empowered Through Health. What is that? And why did you feel a need to get that going? Well, first of all, um, I think that can relate back to you, actually. Um, I know your book, Wise Woman Herbals uh, for the Childbearing Year, was given to me by my midwife, Aviva Ram, back in uh, 1997 when I had my first home birth. And I was reading you, I was reading Rahima Baldwin's work. Um, she also had got me onto Paramahansa Yogananda, and it really catapulted me into the realm of the sacred feminine and women's empowerment. And my relationship with Aviva Ram was actually the first powerful female relationship I ever had. And coming from a traumatic childhood like I did, um, I had severe attachment disorder myself with my own mother. So in my early 20s, that relationship with Aviva Ram and the books she gave me, including your book, was what really started me on this journey and this path. So I wanted to thank you and tell you how honored I am to be here today and to connect with you on this level. Thank you, Aurora. And let me check. Is it Aurora or Aurora? It's actually Aurora Hansa. It's German. So, um, and Aurora is my middle name. So Okay. So yeah, it is Aurora. Fine. Yeah, Wonderful. you can see Aurora, Aurora. Yep, that's fine. Wow, that's great. Okay. So, so you, you through your home birth, through your work with uh, our beloved Aviva Ram, felt empowered and wanted to offer that and share that with other women? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, at the time um, I was in nursing school and I was working in pediatrics. I also worked in oncology. Uh, very disappointed at that time, I was in the MLM phase, which, you know, as much as I despise MLMs, there is a place and time for it. And in my early 20s, that's what kind of got me on to preliminary herbalism. I was doing some Shackley stuff back in the 90s. Um, so I was really disenchanted with that. And then when I had a, a hospital birth and my son had some, you know, birth trauma and issues, when I got pregnant again, I went for the home birth, and, of course, everybody was telling me, no, no, you can't do it. And I was very fortunate to have Aviva Ram uh, here in Michigan. She only lived here for a few years, and um, I didn't realize until, you know, I, I realized at the time how special she was, but as the years have gone on and on, it's just really like having a, you know, Saraswati or, you know, Durga birth my child with me. I mean, her presence in my life was one of the most single, most powerful experiences I've had. And so I left that, and then I started, you know, I started going for, I went to Clayton at the time for my naturopathy. I was uh, studying um, Ayurveda at the time. And uh, I was really, and that's what my, you know, first book about is really against the unscrupulous medical doctors, how they targeted women, um, plastic surgeons, gynecologists, OBs, dermatologists. Um, so I'm really into medical ethics and holding doctors accountable um, for anti-female practices. Um, 
and marketing ploys that make women feel less than desirable or insecure in order to gain new clientele. So that's kind of where I'm at now as a part of my journey as I work more at a government level now um, and a national level um, in activism and, and, you know, medical ethics and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been a long journey, but it started with you. So <laughs> you're part of that Women Empowered Through Health, too. So that is, Well, it is so close to my heart, of course, to see us all be empowered. And similarly to you, I was told that if I breastfed my daughter that she would die in 1960. Mm-hmm. And I looked yes. at her, how can you tell me that? It's, so, it's just so obviously a lie. Yes, they play on our fears or our insecurities. For a young mother, they told me with my son, I didn't vaccinate him at the time uh, because I had just, you know, I was a nurse and I was giving vaccines. They told me he would be dead in six months. I mean, at the time, it didn't scare me because, you know, I was working in it and I knew. But that type of information to a new mother could be extremely damaging, you know. So, and that way, um, yeah, we've come a long way in 20 years. I'm really, I have to say, I work closely now with the medical community. I've I've found them to be very warm and um, much more accepting to natural health. And even though I'm not a medical doctor and I can't really call myself, you know, a doctor, they always call me a doctor, which I feel very, um, you know, honored when they do that. So it's a great time to be alive. I know there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, and I, I think if you know some stuff about the Vedas about right now, is the Satya Yuga where we're in this um, phase of truth right now where we left the Kali Yuga, and so everything's about truth, and, you know, truth can be very subjective, but I'm actually feeling very inspired. I'm inspired by other women, my sisterhood. Um, I find social media to be very uniting. I'm finding this new love for my book, which my book originally was published in, you know, 2006, which at the time was just super, so progressive, so out of this, but now I'm seeing this love for it, and people all over posting, and you know, I I just think it's a really great time to be alive, to be honest with you, but that's just where I'm at right now. <laughs> so when you say that there's a Women Empowered Through Health Network, is that a network that listeners might be interested in joining? Uh, well, what I'm trying to do right now, um, I have through my Beyond Natural Cures network, um, you know, we're basically functioning right now sort of as a, as a book study. And... I'd like to do something collectively with women coming up. I'm trying to, um, I'm working actually with a lobbyist who is, you know, helping immigrants and things like that so they don't fall into human trafficking. I don't know how that's going to look coming up, um, but it's starting to form and, you know, I'll be updating soon on that as soon as I get finished with this next book. All right, so the Women Empowered Through Health is at a, a, a nascent stage at this point. You're still working on it, and you're working yeah. with a local group that's doing some book readings and so on, and you're reaching out to other women in need in your community. But right now it's not really open for listeners to jump in on. Um, but that's- yeah, because they would 
like to, um, anybody who's interested, yes, contact me because I'm, I'm getting it to, you know, it's starting to take more. It was connected originally with my Medical Human Rights Association, which was formed to try to help women with breast implant illness. I was one of the sole people way back in the early 1990s. I was like that little fish on the cat in the hat. Don't, don't do it. You know, I was trying to warn people. I knew that the implants would make women sick. I mean, to me, it was just basic biology at the time. I didn't even have any solid evidence other than it's a foreign body. And I just wasn't trusting this whole promotion. Like, honey, it's okay. Just do this. Um, The medical community talking down to us as women. And so originally what happened when this information came out, my book came out and I was talking about, you know, breast implants, a lot of women were like, you're jealous, you're a woman hater. I was getting hate mail. And so it it was really interesting because um, that's all sort of changed now. Women are coming back saying, thank you. You were the only one, like, way back in the day. I found actually a, a picture that was taken. It was like a black breast implant from a magazine. And I took it, and like, I don't know, I grabbed it off the Internet maybe, like, 12 years ago and when I went back it was gone and that's when it really started me on my investigative health journalism for women like where's this stuff going you know they update the stuff and they take it out and then they threaten people so right now social media has created this huge women's connection and as you know society likes to divide us the patriarchy likes to divide us so when women can really get through some of these really um, barbaric, low-frequency obstacles. We can do amazing things. And so that's what I'm really excited about, um, and that's how it's starting to form right now. So, yeah, we're I'm, I'm looking at um, taking it on a national level, and I would like to do um, – the plan is to do – I would love to do, like, a huge women's symposium and get maybe Serena Williams in there, you know, get some women – you know, Stevie Nicks, you in there, <laughs> Aviva. Oops, that's my dog. I'm sorry in the background. <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll see. It's it's coming together, though, slowly. So these two things, the Women Empowered by Health and the, um, the Human Rights Association are two facets of a gem that you're creating. Yeah, I've been trying to get that going. I've got to turn it into the medical human rights as a as a nonprofit. Um, I'm trying to get the 501c3 right now and get some funding for it. I'd like to get. I actually already have some doctors that. Um, what I'd like to do is get some funding for these women that have been hurt by medical devices, and you know they're waiting for years in malpractice and they're not getting any help. So this is kind of like an olive branch. Um, you know, to send a, from the medical community to women that says, look, at, we hear you, get some doctors that are willing to come in and, um, you know, maybe do the surgery for a lower price or to get these women some funding that they need so they can get healthy again. But there's a lot of interest. I'm seeing a lot of interest on all sides on this. So that's been kind of uh, the focus right now is getting that going. So the... The rights at this point 
is not just all um, medical human rights, but very specific, you have a very specific focus, which is the medical human rights of women who have had breast implants. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of people that have been injured, you know, from devices in general, but women especially. Yeah, and to see to the difficulties that they have had and to help them um, have their breast implants removed if that's what they want. Yes. Before, women were being told, you know, honey, you're crazy, just go home, don't read, you know, don't look on the Internet, and on Facebook alone, there's um, one group has 60,000 women in this breast implant group. In just one group, these are women all pretty much having the same symptoms that have been just lied to over the years. And, and I'm talking about something nobody else is, Susan. This is the next step for me. Let's talk about these babies that have been breastfed with these chemicals. I mean, there's... All breast implants are covered in silicone, and all breast implants covered in silicone have 40 different cancer-causing chemicals, even in the shell. So what does that look like when you breastfeed a child from that breast? And there's not even been any studies, I don't think, any conclusive studies on the breast milk from that. So that's where I'm going next with this. You know, I'm always jumping ahead five years. I get a lot of flack for that, but that's just where my mind goes. Well, one of the things that I was interested in, I've been helping a, quite a few people with uh, cancer diagnosis, and some of them are choosing chemotherapy or radiation or chemoradiation. And I have been appalled um, that there's basically no information given to people who have radiation about the side effects. Wow. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, I worked in oncology back in 1997, and... Um, a lot. My mom just passed away of cancer last year, and not a lot has changed. It's just the same. Um, I mean, I was disappointed when I got to Florida. Um, we were trying to move my mom to hospice, and, you know, of course, as oncologist, it's making all this money the whole year, every day for my mom. When it was time to get her in hospice and move her, we waited all day at the hospital. He didn't show up. We, had, we ended up having to move ourselves without the meds. It was very, very, very traumatic, and um, I was very, very um, uh, super just upset that here I am 20 years later in this pretty much same situation, and besides the new immunotherapy, I think those are – she didn't do well with that, but I think a lot of people are doing better with immunotherapy. Um, it makes me sad that there's still this, you know, sort of – I mean, I, I compared it back then. I compared it in my book to, like, the, um, you know, you get these people in and out like you're, like it's a machine. And that's how it was when I was there. Get them in, get them out. Very little attention. But, you know, doctors don't have enough time either. They're getting 15 minutes per patient. The whole system has to be. They think that concierge medicine um, is answering a lot of those issues. I did a, a show last year and some articles on concierge medicine, and, you know, that's another charge, but that seems to be filling in some holes that people need at least for more contact with their um, physicians. Yes, there are some, definitely some wonderful, innovative things going on, and yet, as we both know, the vast majority of people will just, as you say, be run through factory medicine. 
Yeah, it was sad. My mom, you know, she actually hid it from me like her last year. I mean, she knew I was a naturopath, and she always knew my personal feelings about what I would do if I have cancer. And I think all of us have sort of this preliminary of what we think we would do and what we would really do would maybe be two different things. But she really didn't open up to me, um, and it made me – it was sad um, because I think, you know, it it just – you get – I get it. There's so many things and so many different sides with cancer. You have your doctors telling you, you have your family. I think of that scene in Breaking Bad where he had an idea of what he was going to do when he got home and the wife was there and the sister-in-law and the brother-in-law, everybody was just, you're doing this, you're going to do this. And that's what he did. So um, I try not to be judgmental like that um, as much as I feel like sometimes people shy away from me because they're afraid I'm going to be, um, I'm actually a lot more integrative than people think that I am just because I, I point out some of these issues doesn't mean I throw the baby out with the bathwater either. You know, I try to be very middle of the road, but I'm always trying to improve anything, whether it's natural health or, or allopathic health. Yes. You know, early on I was disappointed in what I saw as a schism between of what was being called alternative medicine and ordinary medicine, because to me it just looked like we were all in the same boat together. We wanted to have healthy people and to help people. And so I made up the word complementary, that I was doing complementary medicine. And complementary alternative has had a good long run, CAM, and the word integrative is slowly replacing it. And I'm very dissatisfied with integrative because it what it means is after we get done, you know, totally destroying their immune system with chemotherapy and radiation, then we'll send them to an herbalist or an acupuncturist. And what I want is integrated medicine. My new book is the complementary integrated medicine revolution where your mother says, wow, you're a naturopath. I'm so glad I have somebody in my corner. I'm going to do chemo and radiation. Tell me how to get through this to be as healthy as I can. Right, like a, like a health doula. That's so great. I love that, Susan. That sounds like a great. I'd love to take a look at that book and did, that sounds amazing. Right, integrative means we do one and then the other, and integrated means we do it at the same time. And I yes, so true. China, it's considered malpractice to send someone for chemotherapy and not give them a juvent and adaptogenic herbs. Wow, I had no idea. Yes. That makes sense, though. I mean, you, you, it's really like we're backtracking. And, and I don't know about you as much as I really enjoy getting older. I mean, I'm in my 40s now, and it always surprises me how um, I see this new research about stuff I've known all along. Some of the stuff I just intuitively knew, like with breast implants, I was like, hello, this is not healthy, right? But nobody would believe me. But I, I see on almost on a daily basis this stuff coming up, like, oh, I knew it, or you know, did we, re- we really needed research for this? So it's interesting. Like, I'm seeing a real um, opening, almost like the sky's opening up. You know, I feel like people are a lot more savvier with their health. Yes, and, and that you are working yeah. in some way with the Women's Health Network, which is one of the largest groups in the United States who's, who is doing work like what you're doing, who is definitely doing um, – medical rights work, and definitely is doing work on um, empowering women, the Women's Health 
Network, a really incredible group. This is Susan Weed. I'm talking to Aurora Hens, who is creating an amazing jewel with many facets, the women empowered through health facet, the medical human rights facet, and the organomic yoga facet. Could you tell us a little about that, please? Uh, sure. So my first book, um, Beyond Natural Cures, I was studying with a um, body-mind psychologist out in Portland, Oregon, and that's just basically a, um, he's an organomist. And if you, I think you know some stuff about Wilhelm Reich's work on um, organomy. I went through therapy myself for six years. All my books. Reichian therapy, yes? Yes. All my books have a, have a foundation in organomy as a backdrop um, comparatively. And um, so I studied with him. And so part of the issue. For those who don't know, ergonomy is the study of orgone. Reich was one of Freud's two most famous students. Freud had two very famous students, Jung and Reich. Jung is certainly more well-known. Wilhelm Reich is not so well-known. He discovered, with quotes around it, life force energy that he called orgone. Of course, it's been known all over the world. And thus, his practice has come to be known as orgonomy. Yes. And so part of my um, studying and being in treatment is I had to fly out. A lot of people have to fly for therapy because there aren't a lot of organomists. Um, Most of them are on the east and west coast. And so what I realized was I was coming back, and then I had a couple months in between therapy, and what I needed to do to keep the energy segments open, and the energy segments correlate to the chakras. Similarly, not um, exactly and so to keep those energy segments open, um, I developed this yoga that is meant to be done either one-on-one or in a small group, but it's supposed to be emotionally releasing. And so in that way, um, it's meant to be done in a way where you're in a safe environment and you feel comfortable and, and trusting enough to if you need to surrender or you need to release, you have the ability to do so. So you use regular yoga asanas? Yep, they, I use regular um, yoga asanas. Some of the differences are um, some of the differences are between it is that we use we go from the head down. Where in yoga and meditation, you usually go from um, you know the the root chakra. You'll go from the bottom up. We go from the head down. Uh, we also use chest movement, chest breathing, which is important, and open mouth breathing, and a lot of eye movements and facial movements. So it's very um, similar, but there's there's some important differences, and those are pretty much what are the main what makes them dif- makes it different from traditional yoga. And is it the facial movements that trigger the emotional responses? Yes, it can be. You know, if you're in, um, if you're using the breathing, because, you know, it's really important with organomy treatment in general that you're working with a um, a doctor, a licensed professional, just because when you trigger these memories or you trigger these, um, when the unconscious becomes conscious, it can be very traumatic and you don't know how your body will respond. Um, so when you start doing the exercises, if you 
haven't been in therapy before, it could probably cause some anxiety or even shortness of breath, um, a healing crisis where you're like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to do this. People will avoid, they'll avoid coming to class. Um, if they're not familiar, if you've been in treatment and you're comfortable with the energy moving through and you're comfortable with the emotional release, uh, you would probably view it in a different way. So it's meant to get you in between treatments and keep the energy from blocking again because that's usually the process. Like if they work on your ocular block and they open it, uh, you can, within a week or two, you'll start defending against it and then you can, so you're really going one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back. This is a, a means to try to, like sort of like a Band-Aid approach to get you in between your therapy. If I go one step forward and two back, I am not going to go forward at all if it takes me two back, unless what I want to do is go backward. And why don't I just go backward instead of trying to go forward? I'm not sure what you're saying. Also, to my mind, and I have a huge amount of therapy experience, Reiki and as well as a variety of others, anything that anybody does, somebody's mm-hmm. opening your erection, already we are way off on the wrong track, and no wonder you can't get it open. No one else should ever open any of those areas for another human being. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, my experience is they don't open it for you. I mean, it's a process of if you're working with your doctor, um, I mean, you develop a trust and relationship with your doctor to the point where you feel comfortable enough to release. Um, you know, you're in a therapeutic environment, so you're in a safe environment, and whatever your release looks like or feels like in that environment, it's, it's okay. Um, but, I mean, it's something that I developed to help. I mean, it's something that I use to help me to get me in between my um, my therapy just because, I would make these huge strides. We'd work through my ocular block. We'd start working on my oral segment and, like, some of the rage in the back of my jaw. And then I'd come back into therapy. We'd have to work on the ocular block again for a while. So um, how it works is you, you, you work through one block, and then you go through the other, and you try to keep them all open. So in this way, it's just a therapeutic way to try to keep the um, segments open and get, keep the energy flowing um, but I mean, it doesn't replace therapy. I mean, it, for me, I've been out of therapy for a while right now. I need to get back in. So to me, it has been sort of replacing therapy, but I'm not saying I recommend that. I'm just saying it is what it is for me right now. Um, Sounds like so, a real <laughs> thing that you have created for yourself that helps you remember how to keep the energy flowing through your body. Yes, I mean, I use it. it. It's more because, you know, there's a bigger, um, on the West Coast um, where I was trained, there's a big following. Um, a lot more people are into organomy on the West Coast, also on the East Coast. Uh, so it was much more popular over there. Here where I'm at in Michigan, not very many people are into organomy. Um, so a lot of the work I do is primarily through my writing and my social media um, and educational-wise, um, just trying to promote Reich's work in a um, dignified way and that honors his memory and what he's done and, you know, try to stay on board with that. Because, you know, he's, now that he's been gone, there's a lot of people that have been distorting his work. So um, I actually work along with the American College of Organomy, um promoting their work, promoting, you know, who he was and just staying true to that, not trying to deviate too much off of that. That's beautiful. 
how can listeners get in touch with you if they want to know more about any of these things, if they want to come to a, an ergonomic yoga class or if they want to get involved in this beautiful gym that you are creating? What's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? And then right after that, I'm going to give you the last minute of the show um, and, and uh, ask you what you want to leave in the hearts and minds of all the listeners. So go Okay, first. thank you, Susan. Okay, so you can... A wrap up. You can, <laughs> okay, you can find Beyond Natural Cures on all social media. Um, and you can also find Aurora Veda or DrAurora.com. Um, all my books are available through there as well. And, you know, don't be afraid to connect with me. Let me know. Um, I love hearing from people. People are posting a lot about the book, and I get really excited about that. And, um, you know, I love to collaborate with people. I love to be a community of women. So um, just keep in touch with me, and I'll let you know about my new book. It's coming out on sadomasochism. It's going to be a part four of pretty much what I've already been working on. So um, you can look for that as well. All right. And what would you like to leave in the hearts and minds of the listeners? Um, I just want to say thank you um, for all your support for this community. Thank you to Susan, and thank you to Aviva Ram and for everyone that's helped me on this path. And um, we need each other, and that's why we're here, for connections. So um, thank you for letting me be a part of your group tonight. I feel very honored. Dance in a circle of women, make a web of my life, as Marie Summerwood would say. Thank you so much, Aurora Henza, for being with us tonight and for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. Every thread that every woman spins and every thread that every woman weaves into this cloak keeps us all safer, more secure, and healthier. And thank Rebecca for helping me to remind people that herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's the medicine that grows right outside your door. And thank you to Justine, who is doing so much wonderful work in helping me get the last things done on the book. Oh, my goodness. Typos, typos, typos. Yes, I have sat most of the day correcting typos and more to do. Thank you all. Green blessings, everyone, and good night. Green blessings, Justine. Green blessings, Rebecca. Green blessings, Aurora. Thank you. Green blessings to you. Namaste. Green blessings. Good night. <laughs>